0: In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul said, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Welcome to today's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, Senior Pastor Perry Ducker will conclude our survey of 2 Corinthians. In this passage, Paul challenged the Corinthians to examine themselves to confirm their faith. Let's pray that God will confirm the faith of those who truly know Him and call the others to come to Him. The series is called Sufficiency in Christ, and today's message is titled genuine faith.
1: Do you need Jesus' name spoken over your life? Are you speaking his name over your family, over your workplace? Today we conclude our survey of 2 Corinthians. I appreciate you folks following along, reading each week. And I named this series sufficiency in Christ, and of course the meaning of that was that we are only sufficient in Christ, not in ourselves. Today's title is Genuine Faith. If you take out your Bibles, today's text includes part of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13, but I'll focus mostly on chapter 13. And in this Bible available here. It's page 936. The theme verse is found in chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Some people find that verse offensive because they think, "I well, no, I should never have to examine whether I truly have faith, but that's not a biblical standard. The scripture challenges our faith so that we have the chance to have our faith confirmed or find that we lack faith and then we flee to Christ. Paul has concluded his defense of his role as an apostle over the church at Corinth. Have you... Been surprised how personal this book was. Even how human Paul has been, even having his feelings hurt, I think. I think it shows. He served the Corinthians, the end of chapter 12 says, he, he, he says, I've got the, the qualifications. I've even performed the miracles and you know works of signs and wonders to show that I have the ability from God. But he also said, but I didn't come asking for pay and neither did Titus or the others with me because he was contrasting with these false teachers, these Judaizers who came with their hands out and wanted to get a following because there would be some pecuniary, some monetary benefit. Paul came only to strengthen the Corinthians faith. That was his only motivation. But he remained concerned that some had not responded to his correction. And so we begin. Let's read verse verse 20 from chapter 12, just to give you an introduction. For I am afraid... That when I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. I am afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I am afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence. And I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. See, Paul wrote about what he hoped to find in the church when he returned. And you say, well, well, he wrote that to a particular church with a particular set of facts that's right and yet all the scripture applies to us so how well when you read you have to understand what what was going on with the original audience so then you can understand how to apply it to us to the current day audience because it's a little bit different you have to make some alterations adjust but understand that Paul's motivation wasn't just to wash his hands of these people. If you notice, a few weeks back, we saw that many of them repented. They turned back, they affirmed Paul as the apostle over the church. They repented of their disobedience. But Paul's not satisfied. See, some of us are satisfied if we just confront whether the people change or not. And we say, oh, I've done my part. And we're okay, particularly if the majority turns with us. Not Paul. Because Paul loved every one. And so he's coming back again. And he sees that he said that God would, you saw what it says, I'll be grieved. God will humble me in your presence. Because Paul took responsibility for these people. So he wasn't just saying, I don't care what you're doing. It's not because of me. No, no, he loved these people. He ministered to these people. He lived with these people for 18 months. And so he knew if he saw them still in disobedience, he would be grieved before God. Do we feel like that? When people we love don't turn? So we're going to look at elements of genuine faith. That's how I'll apply this passage. Paul's closing passage to the church at Corinth. Chapter 13, verse one. This is the third time I am coming to visit you. And as the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's from Deuteronomy 19, 15. And Jesus applied that same principle to church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. But Paul's application here is that his third visit would constitute his third witness, his third observation of their behavior. Verse two, I've already warned those who were sinning When I was there on my second visit, remember the second visit ended badly. He was attacked and he left really discouraged, despondent. 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And now I again warned them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. In other words, Paul would discipline the disobedience that remained in the church. Now he had visited, this would be the third visit, but he sent how many letters? Four. First Corinthians was the second letter. Second Corinthians is which letter? It's the fourth. It's the fourth letter. Two of them we don't have. Do you think Paul enjoyed confrontation? You know anybody that does? Well, I know a few people that do. I was going to say, who, where, where have y'all been? Some people have it for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They love it. But because of the anger that's burning in them. I don't think it's Christ-like or godly. But some people enjoy confrontation. But Paul did not. Paul did not. He was, he was saddened by their accusations. But because he loved them, he would not allow them to disobey God's truth. He wouldn't allow them to freely rebel even against his position. Not because it hurt his feelings, but because God had given him to lead that church. And it would be damaging to the church and it would harm the lives of the people if they rebelled against him and against God's truth. He knew that if this church migrated in this direction of making up their own beliefs, following these false teachers, tolerating disobedience, even the practice of sin in their midst, it would actually damage, if not destroy this church's testimony it would certainly diminish their witness in the community. The same is true of us today. What this community thinks about our church will be determined by how each of us behaves in this community. Because they only know this church through those of us that represent this church in the community. If these people in Corinth continued to follow these false teachers, these Judaizers, who were blending law and with some grace, it's interesting, isn't it? I think think our culture follows Judaizers, doesn't it? It would lead the people into a superficial rules and rituals-based gospel that lacked any moral conviction and that could not save. It would be a false gospel that is no gospel at all. Verse three, I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. like As the prophets spoke through God and he said up in verse 12 that he had performed signs and wonders and even miracles. Christ is not weak When he deals with you, he is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. See, the cross in one sense demonstrated the weakness of Christ. In his humanity, he was able to be killed but he demonstrated his strength by his willingness to die. See, we think that the strong person is the person that that overpowers everyone, beats everyone into submission, right? That's not the way Christ displayed his power at all. He displayed his power through his submission. And Paul said, We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. See, these rebellious Corinthians, they thought Paul was weak. And you know what? In all likelihood, he probably was not an imposing figure. He may have been small, he may have had some kind of physical. Um, deformity, uh, perhaps losing his vision. One lady said to me, maybe his vision never completely healed after he was struck blind and it's, it's possible. But he wasn't, he wasn't all there. He wasn't a robust physical specimen and he didn't even speak powerfully or eloquently. So he wasn't an imposing figure. And so some of these Corinthians, they they saw the physical Paul and criticized him, but they missed the spiritual Paul. They missed the spiritual Paul. Paul accepted their view of him as weak, because he was interested in patterning, patterning his life after Christ. And you know, I think any of us, and especially pastors, we're doing something wrong if we're trying to impress you with ourselves. You know, I get my styling and my shoes and my hair and there's something wrong with that. You you don't need to see any of that. You need to see me as weak, but Christ as strong. But Paul would be strong in confronting sin. And he urged the Corinthians to recognize and repent of their sin. An essential element of genuine faith is awareness and avoidance of personal sin. You agree with that, Chris? Because here's what happens in salvation. We're we're born again by whom? Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is holy. Holy. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, he doesn't change his personality and he doesn't accommodate ours. There's a holy presence that enters us and when it does, there's a clash. And there's exposure of what's out of line. You know what I'm talking about. You have that holy cousin who's coming on Thursday. And when when that guy or that woman walks in, everybody starts looking for cover. Not because they even say anything, just who they are. You know what I'm talking about? Well, if you think that person exposes people's disobedience, what about the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God fills you and doesn't ever leave. So when the Spirit comes... And the spirit regenerates, he exposes. And he justifies. But see, part of our justification is that now we view sin like he does. But the spirit is irritating in this way. He doesn't stop. You know what I'm talking about? He continues revealing. Now, thankfully, I think the Spirit is gentle with us, don't you? So we don't see it all at the same time. At least that's been my experience, is it yours? But yet you'll go along thinking, I'm doing pretty good. And then the Spirit will show you something else and you'll go, oh gosh, how long have I been like that? And your wife says, long as I've known you. But the Spirit just shows it a bit at a time, right? But that gives us the chance to confess and repent. And repent doesn't just mean quit doing that. Repent is a change of mind about a situation. So I've been viewing something wrongly. And now I'm viewing it rightly. And that, that's part of our sanctification. You can't sanctify yourself. Only the Spirit can make you holy incrementally. Incrementally. Okay. So when you become aware of your sin, of my sin, how do you respond? That's the first indicator of genuine faith. Genuine faith also requires an examination of faith. And here's the, really the, the core verse of this, of this passage. Verse five. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you now let me stop there. Among you is a little bit of a, I think, an unfortunate translation, and I think a better translation and more translations use the word. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is. What does your Bible say? In you. But the New Living says among you, from this perspective. His presence is with you, you see? Though, so that's among you, though literally within you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Now, Paul's opponents, remember, were attacking his credentials. And so he sort of flips their argument and he challenges them to examine themselves. Because what may be missing is is not his credentials, it's theirs. Verse six, as you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. He lived up to their expectations. Because see, here's the point. If they truly cannot see that he's chosen, gifted, empowered, sent by God, it means there's something missing in them. In them. And by rejecting his apostolic authority, And that just means representative from God over this church. And they also reject, see, his instruction from God's truth. Because if he's not an apostle, he's got no authority to speak for God. But they were also refusing the witness of Jesus' spirit within them, or they lacked it. If they doubted Paul's calling... They would, then they would have to distrust his message, right? Which would require them to disbelieve their own conversion, which they claimed. See the inconsistency? Doesn't that describe our culture? I mean, although there is a rise of Satanism, I've been surprised, the videos and the Hollywood and the, so that has surprised me a bit how, how bold they are at affirming Satan, Lucifer, and denouncing Christ. But it's still not the majority. Much of our culture still claims faith and eternity in heaven, though, can I use my mother's word Though they're going to live nasty on Earth. I mean, is there a better word than that? Our culture's nasty. This music industry, a lot of it nasty. And yet many of these people put out their text or I don't know what those things are. Infra- what is the other one? say it again. Well they 're influencers sort yeah lord, if you you 're listening to them for influence instagram isn 't that one yeah yeah that 's where they so they they 're putting out this God here, Jesus here, and then, in my mother 's word, something nasty in the same sentence those don 't go together, those don 't go together, and yet our culture is trying to hold them together. They want to reject the moral standards of the Bible and yet retain the offer of salvation. They go together. They go together. They stand or fall together. You see, their continued resistance and refusal to repent indicated that they lacked genuine faith. Now, he didn't say you don't have faith. He said you examine yourself. But it indicated they they were not true believers. They weren't born again because their lives weren't transformed. Beliefs and behavior go together. Do you believe that? Now, here's the problem. American Christianity was like the Judaizers. If you did something outward, some action, you're saved and don't let anybody ever question it. If you walked an aisle at six, if you got baptized at eight, never doubt it. Is that what Paul's saying? You can't judge it by whether you did some religious ritual. Now, there's nothing wrong with those. And I'm 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 not saying question the sincerity of young children at all. And I believe very young children can be born again. But if they're born again, they get the beliefs and the behavior. Is that fair? Raise your jacksons, go ahead. I got a little time. (laughs) Because I want you to either wrestle this out or get here. Because otherwise we've got this shallow faith that is no faith. It's just knowing some facts. Well, there was, I read in James, there were some people that said they knew all the facts. What were they? Demons. They knew all the facts and they were even intimidated of Christ. But people aren't intimidated of Christ in our culture. Paul was confident that most of these Corinthians would confirm their faith to be genuine. So he wasn't criticizing all of them. He believed that they really did know Christ. And he believed some of them could even be confused. But he, he's saying really that even those that fail the test can repent and turn to Christ in faith. How many of you got saved when you realized you had failed the test? How many? Michael, you better get your hand up. I grew up in the church, my mother, godly woman. I knew all the verses, I knew all the gospels, I knew I could explain it all. And then I encountered the Holy Spirit one night and the Spirit showed me to not be what I said or even thought I was. I really thought I was. I knew all the facts but when I saw that my character was corrupt, I fled to the cross. When we're out of God's will, when we're at odds with his word, we must examine ourselves. I can't tell you if you're saved. You can't tell if I'm saved but the spirit within you can reveal it to you. See, it's a personal thing. And that's the way Paul puts it. And here's the thing, since I've offended you, let me keep offending you. This guideline applies to every prodigal living in disobedience. And I've been here something less than 100 years. And I've had numerous parents angry with me when the kids were living as a prodigal and I said, you need to challenge this, this child's faith. No, 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 this, my child is saved. I said, well, based on what? The facts you're relating don't look like salvation and you don't do your child any good saying, oh, we know you're saved though you're living in this rebellion. Say, are you saved? Why would you say so? That's Pauline questioning. That's Christ questioning. Here are some questions. I gave you just some simple questions on your outline. Is the Holy Spirit living within me? Because Romans 8 says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. Can you detect the spirit within do I love God and other believers? We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Love God, love people. You know, we've, we've been through almost two years now of, of, of this shouting at each other about racism and, but you know what? If, if we love God, we will love his children made in his image. And this race issue just goes away. But it's not that you say, oh, well, you're colorblind. Well, no, I'm not colorblind. I know what color. Susan, you know what color I am? We don't have to be colorblind. We have to love people because of God in them. And then it becomes irrelevant what color. Do you dignify, do you value people because you love God so you love his people? and you value the image of God within. Do I obey Jesus and avoid sin? Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Now, does that say you earn salvation by doing what's right? No, you prove salvation by doing what's right. At least it's evidence of salvation because our character has been changed. You see what I'm saying? You don't want what you used to want. So, as you ask yourself these questions, what are you hearing from the Spirit? What are you discovering? Do you have that assurance that you know Christ? You have him, but more importantly, he has you. And if you say, I don't know, I've got grave doubts, then right now's the time to call on the name of the Lord that you might be saved. There's not a better time to come to faith than the week of thanksgiving. Another element of genuine faith is an effort to mature. As Paul closed this letter, he kind of summarizes everything he said real briefly. But but the point I want to make here is that people with genuine faith will pursue growing towards spiritual maturity. Verse seven. We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction regarding sin, regarding Paul's authority. I hope we won't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. What what he's saying there is, I don't need to come and prove I have power over this church. You do what's right, even if it leaves me looking weak. He cared about the people, not his own reputation. Don't miss this. To mature, which means to become more like Jesus, we turn from our sin. We follow the Spirit. But Paul's desire in Paul's prayer, he says it a couple of times here, I'm praying for you was that the Corinthians would desire to do the right thing on their own, to obey, to seek holiness. He didn't want to come and force them to comply. Because you know what? If you force somebody, you don't know that you get what they really want to do anyway. We can force children to do certain things because we can pick their bodies up. But, but you, you can't control the insides, can you? I mean, I, last night, I had a two-and-a-half-month-old little girl. She's only this big. And I could not make that child take that bottle. I stuck it in her mouth. Two months old. She didn't have any teeth. And crying because she was hungry, but she wouldn't take it. What was, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? It wasn't the right temperature. <laughs> and you think you control your children? We pray because the Spirit of God can control our children. We discipline so that they'll learn to submit themselves to God's discipline. And Paul said, for we cannot oppose the truth, the gospel truth, but we must always stand for the truth. See, it, this, understand this. We live in this day, and you've heard me say this, these celebrity pastor thing. Paul is trying to not be the center, the issue. He wants God and his truth to be the issue with people. Not Paul's status, celebrity, popularity. He wanted them to grow and spiritual growth occurs as we learn God's truth. But do you mature by learning God's truth? It's a trick question. No. No. It begins by learning God's truth, but becoming holy, being sanctified, becoming conformed to Christ is a work of who? The spirit of God. So we cooperate with the leading of the spirit by studying, by praying, by fasting, by reading, but it happens together because you know what? We can't change ourselves, can we? the Spirit of God can reshape us. And every one of us that know him have learned, remember when he cut something out that didn't fit and conformed us. It's a process, not as fast as we'd like. Verse nine, we are glad to seem weak. See? See? That was the Lord just confirming what I said. (laughs) We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. By choosing what was right, not by following Paul, by following the Spirit of God. And we pray that you will become mature. Maturity just, it it means perfect but it's perfect for a function. It doesn't mean absolutely sinless. It means qualified and sufficient for God's purpose. Verse 10, I'm writing this to you before I come, hoping I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me He didn't just take it up himself. He didn't just show up and say, I want this job. He was actually appointed to it and he was dispatched to do this work to strengthen you, not to tear you down, not to tear you down. When we possess genuine faith, the spirit of God lives within us. He compels us towards spiritual maturity as we cooperate with his leading which makes us more and more like Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You remember when you were shaped. Sometimes it's painful. Do you desire maturity in Christ? That's another essential. It's an indicator. Okay, do you possess genuine faith? If you do, then I invite you to join in the Lord's Supper. And if you say, well, I, I don't know that I do, but I want to, then you call on Christ right now and you'll be qualified to. If you need the elements for the Lord's Supper, raise your hand and the ushers will pass them out to you. Paul gave a similar warning in 1 Corinthians 11. I'll wait on you to get it, but I wanna give you this warning first. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, doesn't mean sinless, it means born again, not born again. So our sin is on us, that's unworthiness. In Christ, our sin is forgiven. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So take that little cup and peel back the clear top. if you're not dexterous enough let someone help you and so jesus began in the upper room with the disciples in 1 corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Well, what a week for us to be thanking God. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this to remember me. And so Back the top on the cup. And verse 25. In the same way, that one's a little harder, isn't it? Take that pen we gave you and stick a hole in it. And you can just <laughs> like my grandchildren's pouches. In the same way, he took the cup of wine, fourth cup, cup of redemption. And he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And they drank. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I want to close our service with Paul's closing comments to the Corinthian church. It's labeled final greetings in the new living. Verse 11, chapter 13. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. You know, this has not been a season for joy for the past 18 months or more, has it? There have been division, conflict I think it's intentional from the hand of Satan to divide us on all kinds of issues political issues medical issues racial issues and there'll be no joy as we argue our perspectives but there's joy in Christ as we come together And if if you say, well, everything in my family, my family's divided. I mean, some people are not allowed to come to Thanksgiving because they've been vaccinated or not vaccinated. Where where can I find any joy? In Christ. In Christ. Because joy doesn't mean happy and it doesn't mean the circumstances are wonderful. It means you have this abiding knowledge of the Savior. He loves you and you love Him. And grow to maturity, it says. So there's an encouragement. Take some steps. If you've been stalled out, if all of this cultural confusion has, has, has discouraged you and you've become despondent and you've quit growing spiritually, stir up the spirit and grow toward maturity. Encourage each other. Don't pull back. Even those that differ with you, love them the most. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. This is to a church where they've been fighting. This is to a a culture that's all at odds. But we don't have to be. Live in harmony And peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with Christian love. I like the translation that more literally says, Holy kiss. One of my friends came back today, and he, well, he came back a couple of weeks back. He had his mask on, and I said, I'm going to kiss you right through that mask. Because you know what? When two people love Christ and love each other, the mass doesn't get between them. So you don't have to kiss. You can shake hands. You can wave if you want, or at least smile. All of God's people here send you their greetings. We're God's people. We don't agree with all the same things. Different ideas, different teams, different colors, different, we're the same in Christ. We have unity in Jesus Christ who died for every one of us together. Together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Care volunteers are here. If you said, I I didn't confirm I'm saved, that's why they're here. To help you find the way to genuine faith. There's invitation cards outside the door, and I urge you. You know, Christmas is coming. Christmas is a time when people are thinking about the savior and salvation. They may not be sophisticated in their understanding, but there's an awareness. It's almost like Bethlehem comes closer. Take advantage of it. Those that have been disallowed to go home, invite them to your house. And bring them to church. At this time when people are sad, despondent, fearful, abandoned this is when the church thrives find those people invite them to church these cards just point out the next series which will be the names of Christ the names of Christmas is what I've called it but those names are wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace and I tell you what a lot of us need some of that this year So find somebody in need. Bring them to the series. Bring them to Christmas Eve. I've told you before, don't bring people with churches that already have churches. They're happy. Find people with no church, with no faith, with nothing but anxiety. That's who we want. And reach them. Take as many of these cards as you want as you leave. But but do something with them. Give them to the people in need of a Savior. And as you pray daily, continue the five minutes. Ask God to reveal to you a person in need, in your circle for you to reach. And when you invite them, intensify your prayer. And let's see what God will do that will make this a real happy Thanksgiving and a blessed Christmas Father I pray you would do your work I pray that you would save many Lord show us who to to reach with your good news Lord let us be ambassadors of redemption let us be those who are agents of reconciliation show us who to speak graced. In Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections, at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. You can also watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to download the podcast to stay up-to-date with all of our podcast series. Thanks for listening and have a great Thanksgiving week.